I think this is something that a lot of younger entrepreneurs do not know too much about. You know, we're all about Facebook ads, YouTube ads, social media. So this is like a different thing that I think a lot of young entrepreneurs are missing. And I think my audience would get a lot of value from this. Thank you so much, Mike, for taking the time today. Loving the background. Where are you currently at? Love the turtleneck. I get major Steve Jobs vibes. <laughs> it's actually it's actually pretty cold. It's like one of those, um, one of those like five days that it gets really cold here. I'm in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and um, it's an interesting weather because it's sunny, but it's also it's also like really chilly in the morning. So I had a had a big jacket and all kinds of warm clothes earlier. Now it's a bit warmer. How many years have you been in Chiang Mai? It's been about four years now. Um, yeah, so I used to live in Israel and then I've decided to leave it about five years ago. And I traveled around the world a bit to, to see where I wanted to settle. And uh, I lived a bit in Europe and different places, in, uh, in the Americas, in Asia, and then just uh, kept coming back to Chiang Mai and so decided to stay here for a while. And yeah, it's been about three, four years since I've been here. And the past, that's actually been quite a good place to stay during the, the pandemic. Um, yeah, especially being out of the city, that's nice. That's super cool. And do you see yourself staying in Chiang Mai for the next five to 10 years? Or um, do you feel like you've sort of gotten the gist of it and you want to try a different location? It's a good question. You know, I'm not really sure yet. Um, I guess we'll see. I'll, I'll, yeah. I mean, I'll, I have a long-term visa here for 20 years, so at least I will definitely come back to stay from time to time. But I might, I might move out at some point and choose another like, base location. Interesting. How long have you been running? domain magnate and, and sort of been running the e-commerce sort of brands and then buying and sort of growing. Has that been in the last five years or, or was it like, yeah, how long has it been? Yeah, so I first started uh, this, this whole online business journey back in 2004, 2005. So it's like 16, even 17 years ago. And uh, it was it was interesting because there was really no way to to learn at the time. There was no no courses like no blogs, nothing. Um, and when I told people that I wanted to, to have an online business, I want I have an online business. Like people would usually say, "Oh, you you have a personal blog, very nice, but like, what do you actually do for money, or what's your job?" And so that that's been a very different time back then. And uh, it took me about a year or two until I really started to, until I really figured out how to, how to earn some money. And it's interesting because it was both like a wild west where there was no information about anything. You just had to try everything and figure it out. And I've tried a bit of everything, like every possible business model you can think of online. <laughs> I've probably tried it at some point, but at the same time, there was a lot less competition. So like SEO was much easier compared to now. Getting traffic was much easier. That's super duper cool. And what I've been 
really impressed is you've been able to build a repeatable formula, something that you can do again and again with confidence with other sort of websites and brands that you build. And to a degree where you're willing to get investors in, borrow money because you're that confident that you can sort of grow these brands and resell it for a higher price. Tell me about this proven formula you have. Yeah, so it, it actually took me a few years to really narrow it down. So I think it was back in 2009, 2010 or so, like after like about five years after I started this whole online business and I was, I was doing pretty well, like I was making good money. But that's when I actually realized, then I reviewed all the things I've been doing, all the different projects, and I realized that the projects that brought the most profit, that were most successful, um, and I looked at what did they have in common, I realized that this was the projects that I acquired, the businesses, the sites that I acquired that were already well established and profitable, and then was able to really grow a little bit more and then resell. And I just realized that's what I should be doing. That's what works well for me. And you got to just stick to what works well for you. So I really doubled down on that. And initially back in like 2006 or so, when I bought my first established websites, uh, that was just maybe a hundred dollars, a couple hundred dollars per site. And then I gradually increased it and started buying some bigger sites for thousands of dollars and tens of thousands of dollars. And now we mostly do deals just in hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so just, and kind of having that model of, of looking for good deals, looking for, for websites, for opportunities I can acquire that I know I can bring value, I can improve some things and I can see what are some opportunities and also that there are reasonably good deals. And then I, I acquire them and I go and just improve that. Uh, and that might take, sometimes it takes like just a few months, sometimes it takes a couple of years and then reselling them. Um, and that's it. And that's, and that's worked quite well. I've done over 300 deals now over these past 16 years. And uh, this past three years or so, I've decided to start taking some extra capital because I wanted to go for some bigger deals opportunities so we, we set up a couple of funds with investors uh, and have been buying more and hired more people scaled a bit up and um, yeah and, and uh, that also allowed us to test some more different uh, models and now what we've narrowed down with is sort of coming back to basics just just doing the same thing buying businesses growing them and reselling and doing like more or less the same amount of deals, like 10, 15 deals a year, but just increasing the, the value of deals. So just going bigger and bigger instead of going, instead of doing more and more deals. Uh, that's, yeah. that's been the lesson there. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that, you know, you transition from the smaller deals to now the bigger deals and obviously you have to obviously see if it's right for your if it's a right fit for you as well. Um, 
I'm reading here as well that you've recently grown an interest in cryptocurrency and blockchain startups and those sort of technologies. And I guess you've been in the industry since 2004. So essentially you've pioneered this because in 2004, I think it's safe to say e-commerce and I guess the whole online presence of like the internet was quite primitive at that time. I remember I was in school in 2004, you know, learning how to, you know, use the internet and you were already there, you know, starting up a foundation for what is now a very successful um, M&A and you know, private equity firm. So how is this transition to say the new cryptocurrency and blockchain sort of startups? Is it, is it more difficult? Is it, is it, is it more difficult because there's a lot more players in the game in the industry now? Um, or is it just another challenge that you face that you're facing now, similar to the transition, you know, from the internet growing to this new age of the internet. Is is this something that you're very interested in and keen in and growing in, in the near future? Yeah, good question. Uh we tell a little, a little funny story to <laughs> to begin this this. So um back in I think 2005, <clears throat> uh, I remember I um I was getting like at that time I was getting most of my income from from Google AdSense, the Google Ads program, and um, they were just sending checks. So one time I had this check for I think about thirteen thousand dollars, and I came to my local bank in Israel to deposit it, and I was a bit surprised because you know it's a pretty high amount. So yeah. they just like asked me, okay, well, explain what what is this? So I said I have a network of websites, and I put the ads. And I display the ads, people come to the websites, they click and I make money and Google AdSense um, is a network, you know, that connects between Prime and so on and, and they send me payments. So they just looked at me and asked, do you work for Google? I said, no, I work with Google. I used to, and I explained it again and again and then said, okay, let me check with the vice president of the branch. So the wife oh, wow. comes in and asks me the same questions. I mean, it was a relatively small bank branch. And yeah. I explained again, and, and then again, he asked me, do you work for Google? So I said, no, and I explained it again. And and, and then he just like listened again. And then he was like, yeah, like I, that, that just like made no sense to him because all these concepts at the time, they didn't quite exist like website, like the banks weren't online yet or like, you know, ads, mm. all that. So in the end, he asked again, like, do you work for Google? So I said like, yes, I work for Google. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> and, and that's it. And then they just like cashed my check. And then the next time I came like, oh, there's this guy who works for Google. Google. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and then fast forward to like 10 years later, I remember one time and I was already getting my uh, Google AdSense payments through uh, bank transfers. So they, they stopped doing checks. And I remember I went to the bank one time and they asked me, do you receive Google AdSense payment? And I said, yeah. And they said, oh, that's good because we now have a system to automatically get tax deductions from them. So like, uh, so, so I was impressed. I thought, oh, the banks finally caught up. So they now understand what Google AdSense is. That took 10 years. <laughs> that was a little funny, yeah. Um, regarding cryptocurrency, I got into it back in, Back in about 2017, so I was living in Panama mm -hmm. at the time and I met quite a few people who were into crypto and into Bitcoin and there was quite a serious community there at the time. And I remember I was quite fascinated with it. I've invested quite a lot. I even joined the uh, one project that did an ICO at the time. But then after, after a period, uh, there was a sort of downtrend in the cryptocurrency right next year. You remember when uh, Bitcoin went up like 20,000 and then dropped down. 
And so I sort of lost interest for a bit because there was not much happening. And now things are starting again. And frankly, I looked a bit into it, trying to, to catch up on all the new stuff. And it gets really complicated. So what I realized is that now if, if I wanted to, to like invest in, in, in this or follow the, the, the recent development in blockchain, like I, it, it, it's kind of like a full-time job. Like I would have to really spend a lot of time to understand how everything works. So for now, I mostly just avoided I um, I've actually sold most of my crypto, uh, most of my holdings, which was probably a mistake <laughs> in retrospect. Uh, there, there's things are still going up. But uh, yeah, I just realized that it's really, really complicated. Like you have to, you have to really specialize and understand it. Otherwise, you, you, you're probably not going to be profitable, not going to be do very well. How much time do you put currently into buying blog sites? Are you constantly on these different marketplaces and always refreshing, looking for deals, looking at the numbers, and you do that every morning? Um, or do you have someone do that for you now, Michael? Yeah, good question. We do have a team doing that. So we now have a team of 12 people uh, and, a few, and a few other freelancers and agencies we work with. So we have a couple of people who do that they, they do some outreach they, they look for some leads uh, but also what i found is that there is like several ways to to find deals yeah the the, the first way the easiest which is what most people do is they would go through all the listings they would go through the brokers they would go through all the marketplaces and they would just check everything and they have some criteria and that's uh, honestly, the least efficient way. <laughs> it is the most common and the easiest one, but it's very hard to find good deals this way because that's where everyone is looking. So it, it pays to be um, more unconventional. Uh, so what I usually do is, I don't really do that. I have maybe like one or two places where I check from time to time, which is uh, some some Facebook groups and some, some small marketplaces and I try to do it in a more efficient way so just having some criteria set up already so that uh, I can quickly kind of see if something is new. And is the KPI like a multiple? Are you sort of looking at how much multiple if it's like under 20 um, and you can make it back in make your money back in 20 months that's a good deal? Do you have a similar KPI? Um, so our criteria now, so you can see our public criteria on our website at domainmagnate.com slash criteria. We also have a few like private criteria, but, but generally, yeah, generally these days we, we do it a bit differently. So we focus more on less on price and more sort of on uh, like quality and different opportunities to grow, to scale things. So this is currently our, um, so this is our criteria people can see by going into the mind.com criteria. So we look at some strategic things. We see that there is opportunities to increase it, to grow it for SEO, that it's an evergreen niche. And then how often would you be able to find a deal that meets your criteria? Yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah, and, and then so we, we have ethical, we have legal criteria, we have criteria in terms of price range, of course, and uh, we, we have some preferences as well. Uh, so that's just briefly the way it works for us. Primarily what we look at is kind of three things, yeah, so the, our due diligence model we've developed is based on three, around three things. The first is numbers, so we don't necessarily look for deals with a very like low multiple. We just look for deals with our within the market range, within the market price range. So if something is priced like 10 years worth of, you know, 10 times of annual profit, that's just not, not worth looking at because it's way too high compared to the current market averages. Yeah. But if it's more or less within the, 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 the market average price, that's good enough. And then we would look at opportunities and that's really a big deal to understand what can be improved because Ultimately, we want to buy assets that we can grow and improve. Um, and then we look at risks to understand what the risks are. And that's that's key, uh, especially with, with organicable traffic. The most important thing really is understanding the risks and, uh, and being able to evaluate them well, because what happens now, and that's something that most first-time buyers probably don't realize yet, is that the biggest risk is coming from from google uh, algorithm updates the biggest risk is coming from losing your rankings in google and uh, people often look at, at organic traffic as okay it's stable you you receive that revenue every year you'll keep receiving it but that's really not the case most of the time they would go buy a new website that's and, and then like after two months the rankings just drop and that is extremely common like most of the websites that you would see right now listed for sale that have Google organic traffic, it would be like that. You acquire them and, and the rankings would drop. And like if you're a first time buyer, you just like wouldn't know what happened. And you might go and find um, and find like someone at relatively low cost SEO agency to try to help you. And they do some work, they buy some links and maybe initially it works. And then a few months later, everything drops even further, and then you just lose most of your revenue and traffic. And those cases are very common because it really requires so much higher level of skill and understanding nowadays to, to be successful with this kind of deals, with this kind of sites. Got it. How, how has the CPMs from the Google AdSense for the, your banner ads on blog posts changed over the last few years? Has it decreased, increased? Yeah, that's a very good question, actually. Um, I'd say it's certainly increased because there is more advertisers, because Google AdSense has become more effective, but also because there are many more options now. So lately we've been working more with Zoic. Uh, Zoic is a similar platform to Google and they, um, they're doing quite well for us. We've also tested MediaBuy, NetThrive and many, many other networks we've worked with. And um, yeah, having competition is good. Having more choices and more advertisers. Uh, there is also better, like better technology, but also better affiliate programs. So I'd say overall, um, the CPM rates have gone up for most niches, for most industries. Interesting. And then are your ideal customers who are buying your websites after you've grown them are they looking for a way to sort of invest into an asset 
that makes a return after 30 months or they're looking to grow it and then resell it. Why do people buy these websites? Um, yeah, I've never really given it much thought, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> so usually when, when we sell, we just uh, like list it. We either list it on the marketplace or we send it. Usually we first send it to our newsletter because we have a good following now that we can sell directly. I think mostly these are people. So because we have such a strong reputation in the industry, so people know that if they buy from from us, if they buy from me, they know that they're getting what what they pay for. They know that like they they see what they get basically. While there is quite a lot of scam now in the industry, so it's so it can be dangerous. And also we provide a lot of after sales support, so we make sure to help people uh, set things up and manage later. So for that reason, often it's people who are first-time buyers so who are not so experienced who buy from us. And, and uh, I also make sure that they understand the risks, they know what to do after. Uh, so that really helps them. And these are mostly people who want to, um, they want to understand the industry, they want to invest in it. They might, some of them maybe want to like turn it into their main source of income at some point. Some of them just want it to be a side income. Yeah, so there is all kinds, but most of them like want to learn, want to grow this business. Uh, I would say most people don't think about reselling into three years like either. This is more like people who are who are more kind of professional, who are more in this, who have been this in this for a while and have done many different flips like that. So, and frankly, we usually don't sell to people like that because they look for bargains. So they look for lower prices. And obviously when we sell, you want to be able to get a good price. Interesting. And so like, I, I would not sell to myself. <laughs> I, I can definitely relate because I'm always buying and selling things. So like whenever a friend wants to sell me something, I'm like, you don't want to sell it to me. I'm going to lowball you. I'm going to be able to get the best price possible. And I don't want to do that to you. Um, so how stable is like the monthly sort of revenue? So when you have like a tattoo website that has a monthly net profit of 4,000, is that going to be consistent over the next 30 months? Um, and if it is consistent, why not go down the route where you just hold every single one of these websites as like a long-term asset and then have, you know, the 10 websites, whatever profit you make each month, reinvest it into another website and just sort of grow out your sort of assets. Yeah, so first of all, that, that is a very valid portfolio approach and many, many people do that. So they have a portfolio of content websites and they keep growing, they they buy new ones and that's 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 what I've been doing as well. That's what we are doing more or less. Um, however, it's, it's more complex than most people realize because uh, nothing really like lasts forever, nothing really it's not really passive income. I would say there is no online business which is completely passive income. So with content sites, you always have to update some things. 
Uh, it's a little difficult to give kind of a generalized rule, but I would say on average, if you have a content website, a blog that's earning some revenue, getting some decent traffic, you would need to make some updates every month or every other month. So maybe you need to update a few existing articles every month. Maybe you need to add in like one or two new articles every month at least. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing is you would have to update quite a few articles every year, depending on the on niche, of course. There are some niches that you like never ever have to update. Let's say history, for example. We had a website about ancient history. <laughs> so <laughs> it hasn't been updated for about 10 years and it's still very relevant because it's about uh, like ancient history. history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> so that's something you don't really need to update, but most topics you have to update, especially like technology related sites. So if you have a blog about, um, so we have a site, we have different sites about laptops, uh, and, and uh, kind of like recent deals and, and, and most recent models, so you have to update very often. Hmm. And, and then often you would have some kind of articles that have to be updated once a year because of like deals or because of like maybe you have a year in the title or things like that. And then you also, if it's an affiliate site, you always have to keep an eye that the links are working, that affiliate links are working. So you might need to update that. So there's always a lot of things to keep an eye on. You also have to uh, keep an eye on competition, build some backlinks from time to time. Uh, so, so there are things to do. Uh, there's also the seasonality to, to, to keep in consideration. So many sites, they peak either around winter or around uh, summer. So for example, sites, affiliate sites that, that have like Amazon sales are usually peak around like November with all the shopping holidays in the US. Um, yeah, so that's something to keep in mind as well. So I would say, yeah, the, the portfolio approach is certainly doable. You just have to keep in mind the, the different nuances of that. Makes sense. And is most of the traffic coming organically? from like Google SEO, is it majority of organic traffic? Yeah, that's what we focus on. So most of our traffic is organic from Google. We have some sites with some social, some, some other traffic, but uh, the vast majority is organic from Google. Interesting. And so I'm, I'm guessing organic traffic is pretty stable. Um, or because for example, in YouTube, there's like peaks and troughs throughout the year and it could be like you might be doing 3,000 views a day and it might go down to 800. So that's like a, you know, a, a 4x drop. Um, is SEO more stable or is it similar to that? Yeah, SEO is very stable, I would say, compared to web, but you have this Google algorithm updates every, every month, every two months nowadays. So if you get a site that's doing some more aggressive SEO and it's relatively like new, maybe a year old, then it's higher risk. So you might get hit by a Google algorithm update and then you would lose quite a bit of traffic and it's not uncommon then to lose like 60% or even 80% of your traffic in one day. Uh, but that's uh, these rare cases. 
So most of the time, as long as it's a solid site, solid content, solid backlink profile, you keep it updated, it's stable and it can grow uh, consistently as well. And then Michael, what is the SEO attached to? So for example, studying.com, when we acquired the domain, there was like previous backlinks, but we didn't get any like free SEO because of it. Or like when you convert from say WordPress to a different like Shopify, does the SEO transfer over? How does SEO work in that sense? Who owns it or how does it get logged? Yeah, so SEO is pretty complex. There is hundreds of factors that Google takes into account for, for rankings. But if you want to really like simplify it, I would say it's just two factors. It's maybe three factors. So it's the quality of your content. So obviously you have to have good content that, uh, and it's not just like, it doesn't necessarily have to be super long and super detailed. It just has to be good in relation to the user query. So if a user uh, is searching for where to buy uh, a sweater, like they would probably want to see an e-commerce site or maybe like a review of different ways where they can buy them. So that's the kind of content you need to give them. Or if they want to know like the reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire, like they would probably expect to see a very long article or the study or something like that. So that's what it means to have really good content. That's one thing. The other thing is backlinks and backlinks is uh, Google treats them like a vote that, that other sites vote for your site, for your page and say that this page is good. So if another site links to yours, it's sort of a vote that passes. So if your page has many links, especially links that are on topic. So if you have that article about the reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire that you want to see other sites that are related to the attention history or to that period linking to your site topical links that's the second and then the third is just sort of age so you gotta you gotta age it you gotta wait some time you gotta let it sort of sink in and slowly grow so if you just yeah if you just look at it from the perspective of these free free factors like your domain studying.com so you got the links from the beginning that's good you have a good domain so it's going to be easier to get more links uh, and you create good content and that's it. And it should gradually increase the organic traffic. So every time we change up how the blog page is laid out or we change a different hosting provider, will that affect all the progress we've made? Yeah, there is also many, many other factors. So one of the important factors these days is page speed load. So just having your page speed loading much faster is really important and there is different tools like Google Speed, page speed is a good tool to use. So optimizing that is very useful. Uh, also the on-page of course, on-page factors. So simple things like having a title tag that's very relevant or having some, um, uh, some, some different uh, H2, H3 and so on, different title tags inside and then the general content so that helps and optimizing the site structure is really useful as well um, but I would say generally just focus on your users more like if you just make the, the website navigation easier 
uh, then you, you'd be good. Interesting. And talking about the monthly algorithm changes, are you on top of that every single month, Michael? And then do you learn it first and then you teach all your SEO team members to then apply certain things? Are all your team members constantly on top of the algorithm changes? Uh, no, we, we don't really follow it. I mean, I don't really follow it. So the rather the, the, the kind of more gray hat SEO people who really, or maybe even black hat who really like follow all this stuff and they try to game the algorithm and they constantly see what's happening. So they use all these higher risk SEO methods. We don't do that. Uh, so we just try to comply with all the general Google guidelines, which say that you provide quality content, you, you don't uh, do like too aggressive link building and so on. And and if you do that, I think you don't really need to, to follow all the recent changes. How do you know if someone's good at SEO? You know, I've had, I've probably hired three people, employees for, for doing SEO. Um, each time, you know, I think I'm slowly getting better and better, but you know, you don't know what you know. Like I think the current person I have working with me is amazing, but that's because I haven't worked with other people. How do you know if someone's really good at SEO? Yeah, good question. So I'd say the best way is just previous proven track record. Uh, so you just ask that person, what websites did you work on? What keywords did you rank them for? And like, how did you do that? And if they are able to explain and show that, and you can see that this is something competitive and they really succeeded, then yeah, he knows what he's doing. Now, if someone took something from like, you know, maybe 50 organic sort of traffic a day to maybe say 500 a day, and it's now 500 consistently, is that impressive or is that pretty normal? I would say it, uh, it depends more on competition. Uh, like what is the topic? So maybe they just found one interesting keyword, they wrote an article, they got one link and that's it. And maybe the traffic is, has no value because there are no advertisers, there are no ads, there is no way to monetize it, right? Or maybe it's, it's a keyword like payday loans, which is extremely, uh, extremely competitive or something that is just impossible to rank without like millions of dollars in, in spending. So, so that's what I would do. I would ask them what other projects you worked on, what kind of keywords were you able to rank them for? And then I would look into that and I would see, and, like, and, and then like ask them to explain what did they do for that? And uh, so our, our main SEO guys, the way like I was interviewing them and their previous experience was pretty similar to ours, to what we would need them to do. So they would be managing similar affiliate sites or content sites, and they were building backlinks. So they were able to show that this is the site they worked on, and like they worked on it for like a year and they've, they've added this many articles, they added this many backlinks, and this was the traffic before, this is the traffic now, these were like the rankings before, these are the rankings now. And they were also able to explain why they did that, how is it good, and that's it, that's how you know. And often what happens is most SEO people, they, um, 
they either like have kind of a good general knowledge about uh, things or they like specialize maybe on, on some specific areas that they were doing. So it's difficult to find people that, that can really see the, the full picture and, 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 and come up with a strategy and then go and execute it. Uh, so that can be a bit challenging, I would say. Interesting. Yeah. And do you help your customers who buy a website with SEO service or you help them find SEO people? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we usually do. So we, we usually provide them um, all the contacts, like different people we use. Like we usually give them contacts of writers we worked with because ultimately SEO is about content and, and links. So we help them with both finding people who can provide content and explaining how they can buy some links. Um, yeah. And we can also give them uh, some access to, to some people we work with for web design, for like development, for tech stuff. Because often people, if, if, they, if this is their first purchase, they don't really know where to go and how to find reliable people. And if you don't know what you're doing and you can like go and search for an Upwork and say, hey, I want someone who knows WordPress, like you would get like 500 people responding. <laughs> and yeah, so it's easy to get lost. What's the best way to filter out the 500? What's your hiring process to find good SEO people, Michael? Yeah, good question. So you have to have very good detailed description. That's one thing. I have criteria. But the other thing is you have to get them to, to do something, like you have to design some simple process for them to follow so you can filter them out because you cannot. And, and we often got like 200 applications for when we look for SEO people. So you can't really interview 200 people. That's not practical. You, you want to interview like maybe five people, right? Maybe like 10 at most per row. Uh, so you have to filter it and what we would do is we would ask them first of all you have to have this this experience like at least let's say three years of experience uh you have to have this this skills at least you have to know them well and then we would ask them some questions for example uh, look at this website evaluate and tell me what would be a strategy to grow it uh things like that or maybe like you would ask them uh explain like why this happened to this website and and like see what they do. And it's easy to see people who have that kind of more general knowledge, they would say, oh, you just go and build more backlinks and, and add more articles and, and then it will grow. <laughs> uh, while people who are like very, uh, like very SEO detailed, they might say something like, oh, this is a clear case of keyword cannibalization. So you have to go and change your anchors and so on. And uh, you know, and sometimes I actually have to Google some of these terms to <laughs> find out what they mean as well. But that's how you can also differentiate. Interesting. And uh, yeah, and final thing. Also, you can, we often did some trial period when we hired SEO people. So we would sometimes give them either a part-time project first for a month or three months or uh, yeah, like hire them on a trial base first to, to test them and then make it a full-time role. Interesting. And to run an SEO website, 
is having an SEO person, content writer, two people enough to keep it alive forever? Uh, I'd say it just depends on what, what, how, like what makes sense for you. If you have one website that's relatively small, you don't need any people. You can just work with some freelancers, like you can just kind of like learn how to use Fiverr or another similar service. Um, if you have a portfolio, so for us, we have a portfolio of usually between 10 to 20 sites at any time. Previously, we got up to like 30, but now we've scaled it down so that it's more manageable, more effective. And we have now in our team, we have uh, one person who builds link links, uses some tools, he negotiates, he finds opportunities, he, he's um, doing that. We have several people who, we have one person who is a content manager who finds writers and it's important to find like good writers for each side who have expertise in a specific topic and like manage content, uh, coordinate everything. And then we have several people who optimize content, they upload articles, they optimize them. They also can uh, rewrite, edit, add affiliate links and so on. Uh, that's usually probably the most time consuming part is so you gotta have, because you have many articles, if you have many sites, you might have hundreds of articles and each one takes maybe half an hour to really optimize to publish, right? So it's all time consuming. And then occasionally you have to update them. You have to optimize existing articles when you buy sites. And then we also have the portfolio managers. So now we have two portfolio managers, one uh, Colin who is managing our content sites and, and another uh, Eric who is managing our uh, software businesses. And so the, yeah, the portfolio managers are working with the other people to coordinate stuff. And I'm currently not directly involved in managing, so I'm just involved in the transactions and the deals. And then I occasionally like oversee the, the different projects as well. Interesting. And talking about scaling, um, I guess right now how you've been scaling is you've gotten a proven formula. You're bringing in investors, getting more capital to put that formula in overdrive. Um, how do you attract investors and tell me about scaling out your company? Yes, yeah, so first a few years ago, I tried to scale by having more websites. And like I mentioned, we had like 20, 30 websites. And that, that was okay, but it didn't work as well because we, um, we had a bit too much complexity and we weren't always able to do all the things we planned to do. We weren't able to sell the sites on time. So now we decided to scale it down to just having about 10 to 15 sites at a time and just buying bigger sites. In terms of investors, it just grew organically. So when I decided to start taking some capital three years ago, I didn't really know anything about how you raise capital. Um, I asked a few friends, uh, a few people I knew. So one of them was Joe Magnotti, the founder of Empire Flippers, and he gave me some advice that was helpful. And so I just um, Send an, send an email to my existing list at the time and said, hey, this is what I, this is what we do and we'd like to work with investors on that. 
and a few people responded and uh, one of them invested and that's how it started and then a few more people joined and so on and then we set up a first fund and, and a second fund and now we just set up uh, a small third fund so it sort of just grew organically I would say having a good following is good, having good track record is very important. And especially now there is a lot of capital in the industry. So if you have a track record, if you have a good strategy, it's actually not that difficult to, to find capital. Very cool. Um, yeah, I think you've answered majority of my questions. Um, do you have any questions, Christian, by any chance? Um, I'm just reading into the fund now as well, the fund that you, um, you're quite transparent as well, um, sharing the results from the first fund um, when you first started, I think mid 2020 to when it is now. Um, yeah, what do you see, I guess, going forward into the future for Domain Magnet? Do you see, because you mentioned, you know, there was too much complexity with having and grouping too many um, businesses in, in, in that one fund and then scaling it down to really optimize the uh, the, the returns for investors, right? So I guess going forward, do you see yourself slowly increasing that pool of, of digital assets um, to be able to, you know, reach, I think that goal of 1.5 million, I saw somewhere, um, but yeah, going forward, I guess, for Domain Magnet, the fund, um, do you see it growing? Do you see yourself growing this, maybe opening up another fund or um, yeah, what, 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 where do you see yourself in the next five years with, with these funds? Yes. For now, the plan is just to continue doing what's been working for us and continue steadily increasing the, the price range as we gain more experience, become more confident. If, uh, now we, we mostly acquire businesses in mid-six-figure ranges. Yes. So we, we want to start, uh, we, we plan to get our first seven-figure deals next year and then we can really go into to looking for acquiring bigger businesses and things change quite a bit once you cross the one million dollar mark because businesses like a typical three hundred thousand dollar business uh our website in that value range it's often just just a website and there are maybe some freelancers but there is not a, a team that's involved while with a business above a million dollars there is often some teams some full-time employees so that's um that can be quite a difference is this a valuation of a million dollars or doing a million dollars per year in revenue? I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, evaluation in terms of value. So uh, the, the evaluation, typically it's like three times the annual profit. So a million dollar business would, would often make something like 300, 350,000 in annual profit. Very cool. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your time today, Mark. I loved all the in-depth answers and, and I sort of, we, we went, niche and broad and then you're able to you know um, juggle between both types of questions um, i really appreciate your time today i really appreciate your expertise love the background and vibe that you have going on and i'll definitely be keeping a close eye on domain magnate and this was an amazing sort of educational lesson in blogs seo um, and i think this is something that a lot of younger entrepreneurs do not know too much about, you know, we're all about Facebook ads, YouTube ads, social media. So this is like a different um, thing that I think a lot of young entrepreneurs are missing. And I think my audience would get a lot of value from this. So thank you. Yeah, thanks Andy and thanks Krish.
Yeah, I'd say the, the people often ask me, how do you get started? Like, what's the best way to get started in that, in that area? Um, I would say the easiest way is just go and buy a small site, pick up a small site on a small budget, like $500 or a few thousand dollars. And, uh, and then you'll, you'll learn everything you need to know by just doing it. Interesting. Go into the deep end, dive into the deep end, just, just find the website. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And to all your listeners who have an established business already, who might be considering to sell it, I want to invite them to come to themainmagnet.com slash sell and just fill out a quick form. And uh, if it's something that fits our criteria, we can just quickly respond, uh, do some due diligence and give them an offer right away so they don't need to, to go use a broker or, or, or list it or follow a long process. Amazing. And where can they find out more about your podcast? Where you share value? I think you have like a cool Twitter. Um, where can they find more about you, Michael? Yeah, sure. Are you welcome to check out our podcast called The Domain Magnet Show? It's uh, on uh, iTunes and also on YouTube and um, I think pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, and we also have a free newsletter with recent updates and industry news at domainmagnets.com slash newsletter. And you're welcome to follow me on social media. I'm mostly, I'm mostly active on Facebook, um, facebook.com slash domainmagnate, or just look me up, Michael Beroslavsky, on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Looking forward to connect with everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. Hope you guys got some value from this lesson, um, episode. Christian, you could close out the episode. Yeah, thank you so much, Michael, again. I really appreciate everyone listening as well. We'll leave all your links as well in the product, in the, sorry, in the podcast description and you know, YouTube as well. So they'll be able to see that there. But yeah, thank you everyone for listening and yeah, see you next time.